0: Oscar goes to, and the Oscar goes to, and goes to,
2: there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructor. This ain't reality TV! Respect it! invalidator. Remember that's what you told me! It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. Moonlight! Best Picture! Hello, everyone, welcome to episode 46 of the next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and joining me today, I have Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. And Will Navity. Hi, guys! So, Will uh, and Michael... We we had a pretty good podcast show last week uh, where we talked about our top 10 movies of 2017 so far. Uh, got a lot of people very excited. Uh, we even discussed our first Oscar predictions of the season. So for this week's agenda, we're going to be talking about um, some more of our top Topics of 2017, uh, top acting, writing, uh, text, and not really as structured, just more of a discussion based on anything that has stood out for you so far in 2017. Uh, We are also going to be talking a little bit about Andy Serkis this week in preparation for War for the Planet of the Apes, which uh, is going to be capping off the Planet of the Apes uh, trilogy for this new generation. And we also have some fan questions to talk about on this episode, but first question I want to ask you guys is, what have you guys been watching this week?
1: Anything good? Mr. Schwartz, you want to take that one? I have been to so many movies this week just playing catch-up with everything I've missed. Between uh, Wednesday and Saturday of this past week, I've seen four movies in the theater and a few at home. Nice. So, uh... I'll just re- really quickly run through them. I saw Baby Driver, which I thought was ridiculously entertaining. I really loved it. I saw Despicable Me 3, which was fun. I like that franchise for what it is. I saw Spider-Man Homecoming, which, uh, believe it or not, I liked the Marvel movie quite a bit because I like that character, and I think this was really fun. Even if it's a little too long, it has a good sense of humor and a good sense of self. So that was a nice experience. And then last night, I had the opportunity to finally see The Big Sick, which I know Matt has really been raving about. Yep. And uh, no surprise, I loved it. I think it's my favorite movie of the year so far. Yes! And it is just uh, such a charmer. It works on just about every level. Perfect blend of comedy and drama. It was a sold-out show of about 350 people. It got applause at the end. Tons of laughs. Heard some sniffles. It was Perfect, perfect movie. It'll stay on my top 10 throughout the year, I hope, and uh, hopefully get some Oscar love, too, especially for Ray Romano and Holly Hunter. They are just terrific. Yeah.
2: Do you see it going past uh, original screenplay?
1: I could see it in the Best Picture race, honestly, if it stays around long enough. Like, this is as good as Silver Linings Playbook, as far as I'm concerned.
0: And it's really making a dent in the pop culture lexicon, too. Like, it is very... T- and I think it will continue to be. I think that's the thing.
1: Mm-hmm. It'll definitely hang around. And Kumail Najiani, who's been on Twitter a lot lately, he's such a presence who knows what he's doing with this film and getting the word out there that I can't imagine it disappearing by Oscar season. Like, this will stay around.
0: It's just going to be interesting because it really does seem like one of those where it literally could go... Essentially nothing, or it could fucking rack up the
1: nominations. Yeah, like
0: I could see anywhere from one to six with this, from what I've heard.
1: I'll tell you, even if it doesn't do well at Oscars, it's basically a lock for the Golden Globe musical comedy. Yes, like this might even win it.
0: Yeah, it's it sounds like that. Now, bear in mind, Get Out will also factor in there. Yeah, that that'll be interesting because they're two both they're both very timely. Um, diverse comedies. So it, it'll be fascinating to see which of those triumphs more. I think this sounds like more of a true comedy than Get Out, but that's never stopped them before.
1: So, you know, Matt, we talked a few weeks ago about our favorite Judd Apatow productions, and I'm going to have to alter it now and put this at the top.
2: Oh, yeah. I think that this might be
1: my favorite as well, easily. So everyone go see that when it goes wide next week.
2: Yes, please, please do. I cannot urge people enough. I've been Trying my best to spread the word to as many people as I can since I saw it two weeks ago. It's it, to me, it's a really special movie, and it's one that I think will really strike a chord with a majority of audience members out there. I can't, I can hardly find a negative thing to say about this movie. I, I it's really, really, really tough for me. Do I think it's a quote unquote masterpiece of cinema? No, but. Uh, That's also because I don't have a crystal ball that can see into the future. So as it is, it's my number one favorite film of the year still.
0: I've got to see it. Um, I caught up on Okja. Yes. Which I liked. I wasn't as blown away by it as some. Um, While I liked its unique nature, its unique tone, it did feel a tad too messy to me both structure-wise, tone-wise, performance-wise. Like, I love Jake Gyllenhaal. This is probably the first time I've ever actively disliked Jake
2: Gyllenhaal.
1: That's a love-or-hate performance from what I've heard. I know people who think he's so great and crazy over-the-top in an appealing way, and other people who are just so turned off by him.
2: I found it in the the over-the-top section, personally. Because I know they're going largely
0: for a satirical-type film here, So I guess the characters are meant to be one dimensional, but it doesn't, at the same time, it's trying to be a compelling drama and those two are an odd combination. Uh, I thought Tilda Swinton did a little bit better in the absurd over the top type performance, but also she didn't quite fit either. Um, It's good. I'm glad that Bong Joon-ho is getting to, you know, make films he cares about. It certainly was emotionally impactful at times. The, the scenes in the slaughterhouse really haunted me. Um, it, it felt unwieldy, though. So, you know, I, I think Netflix, I'm glad they're making unique projects. I think they will continue to improve with time is all I'm going to say. Uh, Matt, you mentioned that I would like the score. Really unique music. They have like seven different styles in there. I think there's like Yiddish fiddle music. There's really? like uh, there's also you know mariachi music almost, and then there's traditional s- string music. There, it, it's it's got very interesting music. Um, I thought w- would would we consider An Seo Hyun... Oh, God, I'm butchering her name. Would you consider the girl who is Okja's owner to be a lead performance? Because I thought she was very good. I would say so. Yeah, so she right now is probably in my personal lineups. I thought she was great. Um, But yeah, that that was Okja. I also saw, um, I don't know if I mentioned, I think I mentioned Baby Driver last week. I also saw It Comes at Night, finally. And I really liked It Comes at Night. I can't talk too much about the ending because I think there's still plenty of people who need to see that movie because it was around in theaters for such a short time. I don't want to spoil it. I think the ending, you know, on one hand, there's a lot of questions they didn't answer. I think actually there's a certain area in the ending that they removed ambiguity on that. I wish they hadn't because I think it detracted from the film's message, but it's very well acted. The atmosphere is just chilling, uh, Trey Edward Schultz at 28 years old directing something that competently, two films that competently is astonishing. You know, it's it's not my favorite film of the year, but it's very good, and I'm glad A24 is releasing good suspenseful thrillers like that.
2: Nice, that's awesome to hear, guys. Um, I saw what is currently my number four favorite film of the year. I saw David Lowry's film, A Ghost Story. I really want to see that. It is special. I'm tempted to almost call it a miracle movie. Um, did anyone see Personal Shopper this year? Not
1: yet, but I want to.
2: No, it's on iTunes now, though, so I may have to check it out. It's streamable. It shares a lot of similar themes and qualities to Personal Shopper in a way, and I think the two would make a really fantastic companion piece as far as a dual viewing experience is concerned. Um uh- but a ghost story is a film that is so simplistic in how it chooses to tell its story. It's so personal, so intimate. and yet it's exploring themes that are so vast and enormous in their complexity, their interpretation. And this is a very this is a very challenging movie for mainstream cinema goers. Um, there were I'm not gonna lie. there were walkouts at the screening I was at. And at the end of the film, when the lights came up, there was one person who I noticeably saw who said that sucked. And he walked out. Um, It's not a movie where it's really like heavy on plot. It's heavy on ideas. And the ghost, because the ghost is expressionless, the ghost doesn't speak. You don't see Casey Affleck. He literally just has this sheet over him, and you never see through <laughs> the eye holes at all. Um, they even talked about how like Casey Affleck was so committed to the role that while they could have had somebody else under that sheet, Casey Affleck wanted to do it, you know what I mean? Which I found Wait, pretty funny.
0: He, he's under the sheet? You never see his face the entire movie? There's no human Casey Affleck?
2: Uh, there is human Casey Affleck in, like, a few flashback scenes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but hilarious. otherwise, it
2: really truly is Casey Affleck under this white ghost sheet, and it, you, you you would never know.
1: Do you think he's under there, like polishing his Oscar or something, as yeah. he's
2: walking around? <laughs> something like that, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, the ghost serves as a device that we the audience are supposed to use to project our own thoughts, our own feelings, and our own unique life experiences onto. And depending on your viewpoint of life in general, whether you think it's meaningful or meaningless, I think that you will find something to appreciate in this movie. Yes, Rudy Mara does eat pie
1: in one take for six minutes. For the first time, actually, did you hear the story that Rooney Mara has never had pie before doing?
0: Yeah, I heard.
2: Yeah, that's bizarre. Yeah, I. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's a work of art. It truly, truly is a work of art. Do I, I? I do have um minor, minor issues like with the movie overall, but it's one of the more unique and one of the more fulfilling experiences. I, I, I debated whether or not to give it a nine or an eight. I settled on an eight out of respect to the audience out there that is going to go mad watching this movie because it's so deliberately paced. You know what I mean? Um, but maybe on my own personal subjective viewpoint, uh, it's a nine
1: out of ten, probably. So Good week for everyone, it sounds like.
0: I'm. Yeah, I'm still catching up before I go out to L.A. and get bogged down in work, too. I'm... I have, like, six I'm going to try to knock out this week. I'm definitely going to hit the Beguiled and dig Sick. So that's a good start. And I, I do want to see Spider-Man. I'm You know, it sounds like that is a worthwhile blockbuster to check out. So I will try to catch up with you guys
2: a little bit. Well, while you're still trying to play catch-up, maybe we could talk a little bit more still about 2017. You're a god at these transitions. <laughs> yeah, some of the... Uh, <laughs> categories that uh we didn't really get a chance to talk about last week because last week we really only talked about films so i thought we could start off first of all with uh, the, the granddaddy question of all um directing what are some directors that you think have done an admirable job so far in 2017 who has really really conveyed a unique vision or has just simply created a solid movie that even if it's not a quote-unquote masterpiece you struggle to find any flaws with it like Who's done a great job with directing this year, in your opinion?
0: I think we all know someone who's going to pop up on all of our lists for this, and that's Edgar Wright for Baby Driver. Sure. That, That is the epitome of a director's movie. Every little detail is choreographed. You know, he's clearly had his fingers in every aspect of the film, from the sound to the music, to the choreography on display, to the editing. I mean, that is a true... You know, the the script is good, but nothing special. That movie works so well because of his direction. So I I think Edgar Wright is probably... If I had to do lineups right now, he'd be my personal win in the category right now.
2: You know, Edgar Wright has such a unique style, too, that um, I'll actually throw a little bit of an opposite reaction here. And even though I like the movie somebody who has a very very um, distinctive style and kind of went overboard with it this year uh, I thought it was Danny Boyle with train spotting too I forgot that came out yeah I still really want to see that it's like the most Danny Boyle Danny Boyle film you've ever seen <laughs> so you like this directing I, I like I liked him I like his movies and I also like the movie I just feel that his quote-unquote gimmicks that he uses. Uh, Dutch camera angles, um, very overly saturated colors, extreme close-ups. You know, it's like just odd camera placements, uh, very, very quick rapid-fire editing. I I think it's a little too overbearing in the movie Hmm. a little bit, but... It's interesting how you have to strike a delicate balance with that, you know?
0: Yeah, and I think – so what you're saying is that testifies even more to why Edgar Wright's is so good because it doesn't swallow the film's content as a whole. Instead, it just
2: supports it. 100%.
1: I think another director who sort of falls into that same camp of not overdoing it but just being uh, very familiar with their tones and everything they've done before is Sofia Coppola in The Beguiled. Mm-hmm. Like, that movie fits very much into her previous filmography. And while it is very well-directed, and probably, uh, I think we could even say her uh, best attempt at directing, would you agree with that, Matt?
2: I think it's her best-directed film, yes.
1: Yeah. So there's a lot of great stuff going on in there, but it also borrows a lot of sensibilities from other films. Hmm. So, uh, like, it's still a movie about these people trapped in a box of sorts, a uh, metaphorical box, but we say, we saw that in Lost in Translation and Marie Antoinette. So she's playing with those themes again as a director.
2: Who do you think has given the best uh, debut directing uh, of this year so far? Jordan Peele.
0: Yeah, I think most would probably say Jordan Peele.
2: I think that's probably an easy answer, but um, I'm still going to tell you guys you have to see this movie. Um, Julia... Ducor now i i'm totally not saying that it right it's a french you know french name uh she's is, she raw for raw yeah i'm dying to see that i
0: i will check out i promise you i will check out raw before the year is over um i also want to give a shout out to a couple other ones trey edward schultz um you know i, I mentioned him a few minutes ago but his uh, again it comes at night has an interesting screenplay, but again, that's more of a director's film. It works so well because his tone and the slow tension he builds is so palpable and ominous. Uh, and it, it makes the climax work very well when it does come. you know, and he he brought good performances out of his actors. it's it's a very eerie film. it's a very dynamic film visually. So I think, Trey Edward Schultz, you know, he made my lineup last year for Carisha. I think he deserves a shout-out. And I didn't like the film that much. I did like, didn't love. But uh, Bong Joon-ho's direction in Okja is very, very good. You know, I, I think he has to take some blame for a bit of a messy tone. But at the same time, just visually, it's a very dynamic film. And I think he should get credit for that. As I recall, also uh, Miguel Arteta for Beatrice at dinner. You know, I'm trying to recall the direction, but I think I took a mental note that for a film that's essentially a talking head movie, he made it pretty dynamic, and it's it's well-directed scenes of argument and debate. So I think he... And then uh, we'll also say James Mangold for Logan. You know, he really masters strong action there and delivers a solid film so i that would probably be my directing lineup right
1: now nice one more that i loved and i know both of you don't like this movie you've talked about it in the past oh no here personally it comes. here it comes. i love what bill condon god in the beast
2: <laughs>
0: i and knew it
1: i was thinking of mm. the best way to explain this because i know we're never going to be on the same page with this nope but What I thought about was that on Broadway, a lot of times you have shows coming back for revivals. And the biggest argument I heard from people about Beauty and the Beast was that, oh, it's just the same thing done over again. Why even make it? Well, with these Broadway revivals, like Hello Dolly, that's uh, killing it at the box office right now on Broadway. It's the same show, but you have sort of a different approach from it, maybe a different performance or a different angle taken in different scenes, maybe another storyline thrown in there. And Bill Condon, I've always admired him as a director, but what he does here with taking material we know and maybe putting a new twist on it, adding all these great Broadway and musical references, that really appealed to me in a great way. So I know you're not going to agree with it, but I really loved what he did with that film and how he made it such a success around the world.
2: I really needed like a poll or something to just finally put this to bed. Uh, I mean... I guarantee that even if every single person in the world disagreed with you on this, Michael, I I still don't think you would change your mind, which is something that I admire about you. Give Mike credit. You know, he's very steadfast, confident. Yeah, he's steadfast.
1: Yeah, I love it. If everyone else hated it, that's their problem for not liking it.
2: (laughs) Um, Okay, let's talk a little bit about um, in terms of the year so far. Examples of genre. Um, Will you and I are in agreement? It Comes a Night is probably the best horror film of the year.
0: Yeah, Get Out is also
2: up there, but Ooh, yeah, yeah, I'll go with It Comes at Night. Mm, yeah, actually, between those two, mm, yeah, I still, I still prefer It Comes at Night. Um, best, best superhero movie so far.
1: The only one I've seen, Spider-Man: Homecoming. <laughs>
2: Lego Batman Logan. Oh fuck. <laughs> yeah, Logan. <laughs> Does Logan count as a superhero
0: movie? Yeah, it's a superhero movie. Yeah, I, yeah, Logan is clearly the answer here. Wonder Woman's very good though. Wonder Woman is This has been a great year for superhero movies actually. Yeah, I was going to say this is a great superhero movie year. It's almost restore and then i haven't seen it but a lot of people liked guardians it almost restored my faith in the genre a little bit
2: yeah this has been a very very solid year like you said like oh, batman guardians De- definitely um like last coming.
0: year basically i by the time the year ended i was like i am so fucking done with this genre and this year i've you know i i've, I've enjoyed my time with a lot of those films
2: so uh we talked about this before best action movie is probably Baby Driver. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Would we all... Well, actually, Michael, you and I are the
1: only ones that have seen it. Big Sick, best romantic film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm not going to say Beauty and the Beast. Don't worry.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I would say The Big Sick uh, by far takes that. Um, I'd also say Big Sick is also my favorite comedy of the year, too. Yep. Now, what has been the most unique film you've seen so far this year. Something that just was totally original, different, out there. Something that just... You you, you literally watched it and you literally were like, I've never seen that before. is pretty
1: unique. I still have to see Oakja, and I'm really excited to. I'm just waiting for the right moment when I have time to sit down and watch it at home. But uh, for most unique, I'm gonna go back to Get Out. Get Out's very good. Would you call Get Out unique? Oh, I would and how it takes a relevant topic and puts it within this genre mold. I
2: would actually say, other than a ghost story, which I talked about before, um, probably the most out there concept for a movie I've seen this year is
1: Colossal. I want to see that so Yeah, badly. Colossal's great. Yeah, I like Colossal.
2: Yeah, that was a... Uh, and let me tell you, the way that that story went and um, just where it goes with the uh, Jason Sudeikis uh, character... Totally did not see that coming at all.
1: Yeah, Will, it's a very different movie than you may be thinking.
0: Well, some people have kind of spoiled aspects for it of it for me, so I I, I do know that going in that it gets rather dark with his character and kind of makes him into an asshole. But um, I, I'm still excited.
2: I think it, it comes out for streaming in a week or two, so I'm definitely going to check it out. Nice. What about um, what about most uh, epic? movie or you know I know it's a loose term but any movie that you would define as epic I think Beauty the definition the of fuck you. <laughs> 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 the definition of an epic I think in the, the grand
0: old sense would be the lost city of Z like that that feel it's it's more woke than something that would have been made in the 1960s but in other, every other way it could have been made in the 1960s in that Dr. Zhivago you know Spartacus Lawrence of Arabia type era.
1: But when I think epic, I think like a lot of energy and it's really keeping you going for this long running time. No, and I, think of, I think City of, of, of scope is, and, you know. Yeah, it has the scope, but I didn't feel like it had the energy of an epic. Do a
0: lot of the old epics necessarily have tremendous amounts of energy? No,
2: they really do I think
0: of more grand character journeys and like massive running times, exotic locations uh, big themes like I, I I don't think most people would call yeah Lords of the Arabia are a very dynamic film in its editing, so maybe maybe it would have energy, but I don't think a lot of people would call a lot of those old epics
1: energetic per se see when I think of epic, I think of something like Reds Reds is an epic which does have the energy, so maybe I'm just using it as a different no, way no
2: no it's your your interpretation of it is different, but in terms of how even Will and I are saying what an epic is, Reds does fit that mold.
0: But they aren't all like that. And I would no. say Reds is almost an anomaly. Um, y- your, your classic epic does not have... I mean, like, Ben-Hur has its chariot race, you know, but not all of the film is particularly
2: energetic. Yeah, we don't we don't get epics often because they're just not greenlit by studios. Um, one film that i would well, i would say was an epic this year um that had to be financed independently and also too um not american finance was a uh, promise. promise
0: yeah, yeah. and it, it was not well received obviously so it's it's a prime example of why
2: people shy away from them but no but when you watch it it has like that classical uh romance against the backdrop of a major big historical event that spans years and um just has something that's impacting like a whole country and there's many big set pieces and there's scope there's scale you know what i mean so i i i think that's when i think of epic i think that's what clearly defines it now Let's uh, let's do this now. This should be this should be fun. Most disappointing film, not mm. the worst, just disappointing film you've seen this year so far.
0: Ooh, there's a lot of those. Um, I would say from films I've seen, I was disappointed by Slight a little bit because it was you know it, it, it was had a very intriguing premise it's not necessarily the film's fault but it got a lot of hype out of Sundance and I was hoping for something a little bit more than what we got something a little bit more unique um also Free Fire yeah I enjoyed High Rise actually and this looked very entertaining it sounded interesting having witty dialogue and essentially a shootout for the duration of a film It works much better in concept than it does in execution. It just... That film lost me, and I was very excited for it going. Plus, that's such a good cast, and it just... It felt like nothing lived up to its potential.
2: I think that is the accurate answer from me as well. Free Fire, and uh, at a close second, I would say uh, Alien Covenant.
0: I still haven't seen that, but I... As someone who actually kind of liked Prometheus and was looking forward to getting some of those answers, those questions answered, um, it sounds like the fact that this does not happen is pretty fucking disappointing.
1: Yeah. I wanted more out of Norman with Richard Gere. Really? Which I liked, but I thought it had a lot of potential and could have been more. I liked Norman. I feel like there were so many characters and so much happening in a short amount of time. That it just didn't click in the way that I felt it should have. Like when Michael Schwartz does like a movie about Israeli politics set in New York, that's a bit of an issue. <laughs> that's
2: what I'm. That, that's what I'm saying. Like I, 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 I guess that makes perfect sense for you. Um, okay. And biggest surprise you've seen this year so far?
0: I think Wonder Woman. Kind of.
2: Yeah, I, I have not. I expected it
0: like most of the DC properties to not turn out pretty well. And the fact that I enjoyed it so much is, you and that everyone enjoyed it so much is pretty cool that it kind of gave things its own unique stamp.
2: You know what? I, I think that that's the, I think that's my answer as well, actually. Well, I think you just said it best. I, 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 you know, heading in with DC's track record, I think we all were expecting uh, something that was, you know, going to be, Patty Jenkins, like, I think we all expected, like, to see something where Patty Jenkins had an idea, she had a vision, but maybe there was studio interference once again, and we would walk out of the movie being like, oh, I could have seen how this could have been a great film, almost like Suicide Squad, how a lot of us felt, you know, but it just wasn't meant to be what that was not that that was not the case when we walked out of Wonder Woman. I mean, we clearly got the film that I think Patty Jenkins intended, and it was all the more better for it. You know, there have been a lot of articles and discussions around this movie and um, Patty Jenkins as the director of this movie, what she was able to bring to it and her own unique perspective. So I really, really, really love that this film uh, exceeded my expectations and is still one of my favorite films of the year so far.
0: Oh, uh, also, I mean, split in (laughs) if someone said the words, the name M. Night Shyamalan and told me I was getting a new film prior to this year, I would have rolled my eyes and scratched it off my list of things to see. The fact that I'm excited for the follow-up is pretty impressive. After the track record he's had for the last decade, that's I would consider that the definition of a surprise.
2: Nice. Um, you know, James McAvoy gives probably one of the best male performances uh, of the year in Split. Uh, does he make anyone's, uh, you know best of as far as male performances this year goes. Yeah, he's my number four.
0: I mean, you both have seen more films and more performances this year than I have, but he absolutely makes my lineup. Um, I guess if we're going to talk about the best performances, male lead performances of the year, I don't think anyone beats Hugh Jackman for me right now. Yeah. But, in, in Logan, obviously. But yeah, him, Daniel Kaluuya for Get Out, who I thought was very underrated, Charlie Hunnam, who I'd never been impressed by before Lost City of Z, and Calvin Harrison Jr. for It Comes at Night. I thought he was a very impressive new presence in the screen. Those would probably be my favorite male lead performances this year. Got
1: to give a shout out to Camille Nanjiani, too. Yeah, it's funny because he's terrific in The Big Sick. And if you look at just film performances, yes, he's my number one. But in terms of, like, overall, everything I've seen this year, my favorite performance from a male actor actually comes from television with the Robert De Niro and The Wizard of Lies. But, uh, yeah, if we're just looking at film, Camille takes it.
2: Nice. Um, Moving over to female, who do you think gives the best female performance of the year so far?
0: Um, I think jimma arterton is very good in their finest i still haven't seen it Ugh. i would say selma hayek and beatrice dinner is excellent she's in my
1: lineup yep she's my number one.
0: Oh yeah i mean she's i don't think she'll stay necessarily to the end of the year but for the first half of the year definitely one of the strongest i have uh Cynthia nixon for a quiet passion at number one
1: and she's my number two
0: yeah I, i've got to see that um, Ahn uh, for Okja I thought was very good. And I'll throw out also, I don't, she definitely won't stay in my lineup to the end of the year, but Sunia Nanua in The Girl with All the Gifts is very strong as well. Oh yeah, she's phenomenal.
2: She was really, really great.
0: And then obviously everybody loved uh, Gal Gadot in Wonder Woman.
2: Will, because you definitely um, are like me in the sense that like you really pay attention to like film scores. Um, any film scores that you would recommend so far this year?
0: Yes. Um, so I advise you all to, if you have Spotify, to subscribe to my 2017 film scores playlist. Right now there are 52 tracks on it. I keep track every week of all the new film scores that come out throughout the year, and it's a great place to listen. So, I think some of the best this year would probably be... I'm a big fan of the subtle work in Logan, obviously. Um, It is a terrible film... But King Arthur, Legend of the Score of the Sword, has a dope. score. Legend of the Score, Legend. Of, yeah, you
2: know that's <laughs> the only legendary thing about it. And the score in that movie is the best aspect about it, hands down.
0: Terrible movie overall, but that that is a really cool score. Um, I like Wonder Woman's, you know, big traditional score—the type they don't make many.
2: Of these days. I think Wonder Woman is my favorite score of the year so far. I, I, I have to say, I think that might be my number one.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's awesome, and it, we seldom see... I'll give a
2: shout-out, too, to John Wick Chapter 2.
0: Haven't seen that yet.
2: That's not a score that not many people think of right away, but uh, when I go back and I rewatched that film for a second time, I noticed the score a lot more, and I think for anyone that really liked uh, Thomas Newman's work on something like Skyfall, I really think that there is a lot to really, really love in uh, John Wick Chapter 2. And um, because I just saw it recently, it my latest film score that I've added to my uh, iTunes playlist is Daniel Hart's uh, score for A Ghost Story. I think it's so strange and um, overworldly in many aspects. Um, I, I I loved it. I thought it was quite haunting and beautiful at times
0: yeah i I have that on i have so i listen to scores before i've seen the film i love that i also i haven't seen the film yet but i love michael giacchino's work in war for planet of the apes i don't know how it works in context but on its own it's great listening um something called viceroy's house is very good to listen to as well as albion the enchanted stallion And, oh, I I like, don't love, but like the music in the Lost City of Z. It's very soothing on its own. So there's, there's some good stuff this
1: year. Nice. I loved what Alan Mencken did with Beauty and the Beast. God imagery. damn it. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. I really felt it was terrific work from him. I
2: just love that every time we come to a category, Michael's like, I gotta throw Beauty and the Beast in here.
0: We're gonna get to supporting <laughs> actors like Josh Gad is my win, you know? No, it's
2: Luke Evans. Oh my god. <laughs> Luke Evans is the he best is part about that movie.
0: Yeah, on- honestly, he's he's much better looking than um, than Dan Stevens. Prince. I would have gone... I personally would have gone for Gaston. Just saying.
1: (laughs) Well, he's dead, so you can't. God damn it. (laughs) That won't stop me.
2: (laughs) And what about cinematography? Uh, Last category here. Um, What were some movies that you think were probably the most well-shot films this year? It's been a
0: really good year for that so far. The Lost City of Z's visuals made me shit my pants.
2: Again. Number one. (laughs) No doubt. If the Oscars were held today... That film wins. Do not argue me on that.
1: That's my second choice, actually. Are you going to say Beauty of the Beast? We need to kill her. No, 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 no. That's <laughs> number five. <laughs> no, my uh, number one pick, though, is the Beguiled. Ooh, yes. That's up there. A Quiet Passion is up there.
0: Um, Yeah, again, I want to see A Quiet Passion. Okja, Darius Konji's work in
2: Okja is stellar. You know, very painterly. I really, really dig the use of shadows in It Comes at Night. Yeah, it's a very raw
0: cinematography. You know, it's it doesn't necessarily look stylized or professional. But what you don't see is just so eerie there and all that lantern light. Um, I, I have to mention, too, not a good film at all. And the cinematography makes no sense in that... It'll be sunset in one moment and then it will not in the other, but it's still really pretty to look at. Kong's Skull Island is not a good
2: film. Kong Skull Island is a very well-shot film. Yeah, Larry Fong is pretty incredible.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, not like it's going to stay in my lineup, but he did a great job lensing that film.
2: I know that I said cinematography would be the last, but I figure we talked about disappointments. Might as well talk about the worst. What is the worst film you have seen so far in 2017? Say Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> Don't you dare. Oh, my dare. God. Uh, <laughs> um... I've seen a lot of bad movies this year. Uh, I mean, I could whittle off all the movies that I've given, like, one out of ten to so far. Uh, You know, Underworld, Blood Wars. (laughs) You saw that? Yeah, Resident (laughs) Evil, The Final Chapter, The Space Between Us. Uh, I'm going to keep going.
1: Rings... Rings was really oh, bad. Oh, you hated Rings. That, why oh. did you do that?
0: Are you into SN- BDS and M? Like, why? <laughs> why did you do There's this? There's nothing
2: to. You got to see stuff still in January, my friend. There, you know, I can't. <laughs> I can't shut down the site for a couple months. Oh um, man. I didn't see the Boss Baby, but that got out. It got a one out of ten. Oh, from that's ben. fine.
1: That's cute.
2: Um. Oh. Oh my God. This might be my my worst. Oh God. Yes. I absolutely hated hated terrence Malick's song to song
0: mm, i haven't seen that i know some people who it, it i kind of get the feeling after tree of life everybody just once he lost the mystique of only making a movie every 10 years everybody just kind of turned against him because his la- i mean everybody has hated his last three films pretty much
1: he's not a mystery man anymore he's showing up at south by southwest and doing interviews and he, like he's around here's
2: the key though. Song to Song is a movie that I, like, subjectively hate. I recognize objectively that it's a well-made film because it's Terrence Malick's style and people really dig his style. On a personal level, I hate it because I just, I can't stand the fact that to me, I don't think he makes movies anymore because his movies just don't have a narrative to them.
0: But his next one is supposed to, quote-unquote, be more traditional,
2: so... Thank God. But if I was handing out awards right now for objectively the worst film I've seen this year so far it's The Book of Henry <laughs> <laughs> again I don't know why you did that to yourself I, oh yeah what else here the, the, the Circle has gotten a 1 out of 10 from me this year
1: oh my god The Circle I, I forgot about that you
0: know you, you didn't think it was as bad as I did I thought King Arthur was pretty awful it had a great score and I guess that elevates it yeah. but um, I that that movie's such a mess I think that's gotta be maybe my
2: worst Yeah, King of Offer, I found some good things in it. I I gave it like a 4 out of 10.
1: I haven't seen anything truly awful, but the one thing that I would put in like the 2 or 2.5 star range is a movie called The Sense of an Ending with Jim Broadbent and Charlotte Rampling, which is not bad. It's just so meh that uh, it doesn't really do anything.
0: Is that how Matt feels about the lovers? (laughs)
2: Yeah, probably. (laughs) Oops.
0: Uh, just we're
1: just
2: there. A, we're just picking on you michael and i i, I think we need to move <laughs> on from that right now I,
1: i'm not going to get offended with you Trashing and lovers it's a good movie not great well that's
2: it? no fun i
0: like it when you get mad
1: <laughs> well then you kn- you know where beauty and the beast is
0: <laughs> oh a quiet passion streaming next week so all our listeners by the time this episode's up it's going to be available um i'm gonna watch that this is exciting
1: that's crazy i literally just saw it like four weeks ago in a theater So the fact that it's streaming now is insane.
2: Well, you got to remember, the film has been around for a little while, so.
1: That's true. Hello,
3: everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week, we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay, yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series or other interesting film related topics and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday... You can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father after all. <laughs> yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, you can listen to the In Session Film podcast on... iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one... Nope. Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film Podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not can- how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, no. you go cry at midnight special again, oh, okay? okay? That's what you're I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't buy it that. That's just how it works. <laughs> All
2: right, moving on here. We spent uh, quite a lot of time on this. I want to answer some uh, fan questions now. I received this one via email because it was pretty long. It came from Josh Parham. Uh, and he's asking, Hi, Matt. I had a question for you to be answered on this week's podcast. Essentially, my question is for every past occasion where a film has received two lead acting nominations, how would you place them in separate categories if forced to do so? Since it is rare to have two leads nominated... I think it would be fun to see how you would place one in supporting and your argument for it. Or you could put both of them in supporting if you would like. So some examples that he provided over to us to give us an idea. uh, Thelma and Louise, Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon. Who drops down to supporting or would you drop them both down to supporting?
1: But we can't leave them as is both in lead. Nope. Hmm.
2: I'd move Gina Davis down to supporting.
0: I've actually never seen it, which is embarrassing.
1: So I, I oh, you got to see Thelma and Louise. It's so hope. good. It's probably my favorite Ridley Scott movie. Yep. Uh, yeah, I'd probably move Gina Davis, even though I, in my heart, I do feel that they both are leads. If one has to go, I'd say Gina.
2: Amadeus, F. Murray Abraham, and Tom Hulse
1: Tom Hulse goes to support. Yeah,
0: him, but... it is. It is Abraham's story per se, isn't it? Yeah. I. I told. I, I totally think that's actually pretty that. easy.
1: Yeah. I mean, he won for goodness' sake.
0: Yeah, yeah, but I mean, also, yeah, I mean, like it's, it's, he is the storyteller here.
2: Terms of endearment: Shirley McLean and Deborah Winger.
1: Deborah Winger goes to supporting.
2: I agree.
0: Again, I haven't seen it. God You've damn never it! Well, terms
1: of endearment. Oh my god. No, I've never Pause seen it. The podcast. Go watch.
0: <laughs> uh, Network: Peter Finch and Willem Holden. Okay, I, I honestly think that uh, Peter Finch should be supporting. I think so do I. it's a little bit of category fraud. It's a big supporting performance, but he he's more he drives the story in some ways, but he's more the guy in the background. I mean, like clearly this is more of Holden and Dunway's story.
2: Yeah, I I actually I buy that argument as well. I I would I would do the
1: same 100%.
2: Midnight Cowboy, Dustin Hoffman and John Voight.
1: Dustin Hoffman in supporting. Yes.
2: Yeah. Uh, what else do we have here? From Here to Eternity, Montgomery Clifton, Burt Lancaster.
1: Hmm. It's been years since I saw From Here to Eternity.
2: Um. I would leave Montgomery Clifton lead
1: and put Burt Lancaster down supporting. Yeah, that sounds about right. Again, I've see it. The second time, but
2: the last one I will give here um all about Eve and Baxter or Betty Davis
1: ooh, oh boy, I leave Betty Davis in lead see, I would probably move Betty Davis if I had to hmm because again it's all about Eve
2: ah uh, yeah uh,
1: it's a good argument
0: yeah, see that okay that I mean that's kind of like the Carol situation of is carol the titular character i think she is less the lead than rooney mara's character is and yet obviously she went so i I wouldn't say that title alone really secures a spot Uh, defines who the true lead is
2: yeah okay uh next question here comes from kenny miles at v kenny miles And this is, I like this. What are your eligibility guidelines for putting a movie on your top 10 lists? I noticed that some people put 2016 movies on their 2017 lists. Um, An example that he gives here uh, is that a former colleague of his had put The Salesman on the first half of 2017. And Michael, he even calls you out and he says, Michael, you put Bright Lights on your first half of 2017 list, but that movie made the Doc's short list for the 2016
1: Oscars. Yeah, so I didn't realize Bright Lights was on the short list last year. So maybe I have to go back and do some research before doing the final top 10 at the end of the year. But I mean, like,
2: because I saw... So, for example, I saw Lost City of Z back in October when it premiered at the New York Film Festival. Does that make it a 2016 movie for me? I go by its release date, uh, its official, like, release date in, you know, the States.
0: Yeah, because I I think, honestly, the only way to have any kind of consistency in this otherwise it just becomes so arbitrary of whatever you you feel like um because like the girl with all the gifts you know in in most places was released officially in 2016 but here it's 2017 i think you go
1: by academy eligibility i think that's the only way you can really do it that's what i tend to look at like i daniel blake came out everywhere except america last year but it just opened in the United States in June, so it'll be eligible for the 2017. Actors.
0: Actually, no. It was. It apparently got enough of a release in the states that it was on the eligibility list last year.
2: Yeah, I, I, I know. Yeah. I know this because it played in New York last
0: year. Um. So it no. It it was eligible last year. Um. Now there are cases where it gets weird. Like the Babadook simply wasn't submitted, so it wasn't eligible. But obviously, that did premiere in america in 2014 so we'd consider that a 2014 release but typically yeah the only way you find consistency is if you go by the academy eligibility so that is what i subscribe to not when it premiered at a festival etc etc
2: um question here from at jet five four five nine what is the news on annihilation from alex garland rumor has it that it might come out this year instead of 2018 i believe it is still coming 2018 i've also heard that it hasn't tested well yeah
0: i have heard that as well so i i I don't think it's the kind of film that is going to be positioned for an oscar play this year and surprisingly open in december i think we'll see it next spring
2: okay uh, from Matt St. Clair, film guy 619 with how studios are always doing more of the quote-unquote directing than actual directors on their tentpole films, do you think that uh, the directors that have creative vision should decline despite the benefits of doing the tentpole film, a.k.a. the paycheck, um, et cetera, et cetera?
0: Yes. Um, I'm not going to tell any director what they should or shouldn't do, I mean, if Ryan Coogler really wanted to do a superhero film, more power to him. Um, And again, I understand the desire for money. But it does surprise me when people are jealous that a certain director gets to do a superhero film. Because other than the money, and I guess it would be cool to be helming that kind of scale, I'm not sure artistically why you would want to like I I, I can't ima- you know, I'm glad Jordan Peel made the decision not to take that route because other than money and I guess experiences with a big cast, you don't really have a vision there. I mean, Kevin Feige is the only auteur in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, I think if you want to do something creatively, absolutely try to shy away from the tentpole. I don't know why you would Does it, do any of us disagree here?
2: Well, um, can you guys believe, for example, that Sony is asking Edgar Wright to do Baby Driver 2?
0: Yeah, I hope he doesn't do that. If they give him enough money, it might happen, but it kind of ruins the ending of the film if they're going to pull that character back into this universe. So... I mean, you know, it's a successful film. It's a big pop culture object. Of course they want a franchise that they probably think could be their own Fast and the Furious, but I hope Edgar Wright continues to do interesting films and moves on. I I would love to see him get Simon Pegg back for something, honestly. But, you know, he's such a unique director. I, I hope he continues
2: to seek out unique projects instead of getting tied down into one universe. So, this question here, we may not agree with it, maybe, uh, but it comes from Daily Film Scores at Film Score Ready. Or, no, Film Score at Film Score a Day, rather. Totally read that wrong. Um, And the question that they ask is the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences has nominated some really bad
1: scores for Best Original Score this decade. What are some of the worst? I can't think of anything that's necessarily bad, but there's a lot of unmemorable stuff that they've nominated over the last couple of years, like uh, Alexander Displot for The Imitation Game or Thomas Newman for Passengers. I
0: like that score.
1: Yeah, I, I'm sure they're good if I listen to it again, but I can't remember a single thing from them. And I know, Will, you listen a lot more than uh, I do, so it might be more familiar. I thought uh, Gary Yershon, Mr. Turner, was quite unmemorable. It was
2: unique. I wouldn't nominate it. Um, I also really hate the wind. Uh, the The wind. I really hate the win for Alexandre Desplat for the Grand Budapest Hotel.
0: Oh, I love that one. I'm glad he finally won. I, I think it's a cute score. I don't think it's one of his best, particularly because some a lot of the themes were heavily based on pre existing songs. We'll say that. Given their weird eligibility requirements, I'm kind of surprised. Like the... Is pretty much not his original work, as I understand it. It's based on a... It's an orchestral version of a
2: folk song, apparently. Yeah. Um, I wonder yeah. if they are kind of like the first thing that pops in their mind. And I don't know, we might disagree on this also. But I wonder if they think of a Ludovic Borst for the the artist.
0: Yeah, I mean, like that. Obviously, the music was crucial for that film, but I wouldn't say it's
1: that memorable. Really? That—that's probably my second favorite, next to La La Land from this decade.
2: Really? Oh no, man. Yeah, uh, it's all about the Social Network. See, with the Social Network, I only remember those three bars. But and- that is the best uh, "Put Your Head Down and Study" music I, I have heard.
0: So I would say also there. <sighs> Some composers are really like I feel like get name checked a lot. I love John Williams. I don't think John Williams should have been nominated for *Tintin*. No. Or for uh, *The Book Thief*. You know, and Thomas Newman. I think they, who I also love. I think they name checked for *Passengers* and even kind of *Skyfall*. I didn't. Ri- you know, in a year when you had Beast- *Saving Mr. Banks*. Yeah, saving Mr. That's another good example. Like but when uh going back to 2012, like in a year when you had Beast of Southern Wild and Cloud Atlas not get nominated.
1: Or oh, Cloud Atlas was uh, unbelievable. Yeah. Got snubbed.
0: Yeah, but I think Beast of Southern Wild even more so because they obviously loved the film and that music was an integral part of it. Um you know, and, and I I would say even Bridge of Spies with Thomas Newman, you know, it's it's good score, it doesn't stand out. I think they, they have their people that they really love to give attention to. And, you know, that, that comes up to this year. You know, honestly, John Williams will probably get another double nomination because he's got Spielberg's The Post coming out and the new Star Wars, almost regardless of how strong those scores are because they love him so much. And for every Will Butler and Owen Pallett Pallet for her they nominate, there's a lot more of just people they'll nominate because they like the composer, more. So I, yeah, I, I wouldn't agree with that idea that there haven't that there's been a lot of bad ones, but I think there are missed opportunities in the category. I'll say that.
2: Speaking of missed opportunities, what is a film score that did not get a nomination that you are still the most pissy about?
0: Ooh, I have a lot of those. Um, I think All Is Lost by Alex Ebert is an amazing film score, and I think it's a crime that it wasn't nominated. Golden Globe winner. I, as it should have been. Um, I, I mentioned the two from twenty twelve that drive me crazy, uh, Brooklyn and Mad Max Fury Road in
2: twenty fifteen. Both had great scores. Mad Max Fury Road's score should have been in there. <laughs> totally. Um, they. I, that. That. I. I think that is like the only one case where that film suffered a biasness towards it, probably. But I would say Arrival by Johan Johansson as well yeah i mean obviously they ran to eligibility issues there but that that is a very unique score and obviously they do like johan johansson so and isn't it amazing that trent reznor and atticus ross um only have the one nomination and win for the social network girl to dragon tattoo and uh gone girl both did not get nominated
1: oh yeah gone girl gone girl should have been in there i'm
2: not sure why they kind of Turned
0: against them after they gave them the win that first. Because I was honestly as I love the social network score. I was kind of surprised they won that year. Um I I think a lot of people were predicting that, you know, the King's Speech would end up playing better than it did overall, and the King's Speech would win that category. Yeah. Um You know, I was I was a bit surprised that they won. So I I don't know why they kind of turned against them. Um Calvary's score by uh Patrick, God, what what is what is his name? Patrick something, Patrick, I Patrick Cassidy. Calvary score, Patrick Cassidy is stunning.
1: I mentioned Cloud Atlas before, but more recently, I also really loved the score to Inside Out.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, Giacchino's work crazy. is
2: great there.
1: Uh, the Master was
2: great. Yeah. God, he's a composer. Johnny Greenwood, they do not appreciate what he Is he about. ever going to get nominated, that poor guy? I know. I feel he should. In my mind, he is a winner for There Will Be Blood. Oh, he's so
0: good in that. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Or, yeah. I, I don't know what their problem is with him.
2: Like he has an Oscar. Like I I will forever probably say, oh yeah, didn't he win an Oscar for There Will Be Blood? And people will have to correct me. He
0: was he was ineligible for that, right? It wasn't that yeah, they yeah. didn't like him. Yeah.
2: Didn't even get nominated. Just a shame. Let's move over now. Uh, for the sake of time, we're let's move over to our, our poll. Uh, this week here. So last week, uh, we brought back polls on the website, uh, which now you guys can vote on. I'm really, really excited about this. Um, I asked two questions last week. Um, It was 4th of July, so I asked everybody, which film do you like to watch on the 4th of July? And the winner of the poll with 26.09% of the vote is Jaws. Jaws was voted number one. Uh, in the number two spot with 21.74% of the vote, Independence Day, the original, not resurgence. <laughs> and then in third place, we had a tie for Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. And believe it or not, our write-in option is... Um, got enough votes to secure a tie in third place. And that was the film 1776.
1: Well, wow, I can't believe 1776 made the list. Mm-hmm. And that was a write-in. That was a write-in. That, that's
2: crazy. So either somebody messed up and did the write-in three times or, <laughs> you know, but that got three write-ins. So thank you very much everyone who voted on that. But our other poll from last week was also what has been your favorite Spider-Man movie? And it kind of comes as no surprise. Maybe I should have made this question a little less uh, definitive, but with 20 votes, 76.92 percent, Spider-Man Two takes the cake here. Um, but and then there was a tie in second place uh, between Spider-Man and Captain America: uh, Civil War. So I want to thank everyone who also voted on that. I am actually kind of surprised that Spider-Man Three and the Amazing Spider-Man 2. Each garnered one vote each. Whoever you are out there, you're you're very. Oh my god! <laughs> and I I pray for your soul. As a result. <laughs> oh no. This week's poll question, uh, because we are focusing this week a lot on Mr. Andy Circus and his contributions to motion capture and what that has done for the film industry. We are asking, what is your favorite Andy Circus motion capture performance? Mm. The Choices are Gollum in the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit film series, King Kong and King Kong, Captain Haddock and Sir Francis Haddock in the Adventures of Tintin, Caesar in the Planet of the Apes film series, and Supreme Leader Snoke in Star Wars. So be sure to head over to the poll section on nextbestpicture.com and let us know what your thoughts are there. Please do send in a vote. But I turn it over to you, Will, and you, Michael. Um, let's talk about Mr. Andy Serkis. Um, you know, a lot of people have been bringing up, especially with the release of War for the Planet of the Apes, that, and it, this seems to happen every time uh, these two film, the prior two films have come out. A lot of people are kind of banging on the door for an honorary Oscar for Andy Serkis someday. Do you think that is truly in the cards? Um, what is your uh, feelings on this matter?
0: I don't know if it'll ever happen. I really want it to. Um, I think it depends on what kind of noise the internet can make, because I think there will always be some element of prejudice, or at least for a very long time, be some element of prejudice against
2: motion capture actors. Let me ask you this question to both of you, yes or no. Do you guys think that the internet willed Leonardo DiCaprio to win an Oscar? It certainly helped. So do you think we can will Andy Serkis to win an Oscar?
1: I don't think they're ever going to go for that type of thing unless he's just giving a straight performance as an actor, like outside of the motion capture suit. I think there are too many old school people in the Academy that they're not going to necessarily go for it. 700 new
2: invitations this year,
1: Michael. Uh, And they will be
0: in the old school people. Some of them, you know, if he's still doing this for 20 years, some of them will die off. I mean, like, we don't know what the industry will look like as we get that Technology that created Tarkin more and more perfected. I mean, it may be like just as people were hesitant to acknowledge Netflix films as films within the Academy, it may become so just prominent in the film culture that you have to acknowledge those types of performances. So it's, it's
2: because of his work that he did as Gollum in the Two Towers. He was she showed up on so many critics' best supporting actor nominations uh, that year. Uh, oh, he should lot have been people, nominated. Oh, yeah. A lot of people thought that it could happen, but it was too early in its uh, stages as far as technology goes. And then a couple years later, remember when people actually thought Zoe Saldana could get a nomination yeah. for Avatar?
0: And I, th- I think even Bill Nighy got a couple critics mentions for Davy Jones. Yeah. You know, like these motion... Ca- and then, I mean, Circus got nominated for the Critics' Choice Award for Apes. I mean, he, he was nominated for Supporting Actor there. There is a a desire to see him nominated. So, I don't know. I think the internet's influence on the awards scene grows every year. Um, I think a large part of La La Land ultimately not winning the Oscar came from think pieces and a general mood that was generated by the internet. I, you know, I like, I think... 15 years ago, that would not have happened. Um, so I, I, it's possible. I just don't know if enough people are aware of him in the way they were aware of Leonardo DiCaprio to make that happen. But as I said, motion capture is only going to be more accepted with time. And years down the line, they could look back and say, who's the man who made this all possible? In many ways, it's Andy Serkis.
2: Yeah, his contributions to the field uh, or this new field within cinema are invaluable i think it's uh worthy to say that as time progresses and as the technology advances he is one of the key most important people in the industry over the last you know couple of decades or so you know he pioneered a whole new form of acting when you really think about it like he 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 will be talked about years from now in the same way people talked about Marlon Brando changing the game for film acting. Does that d- does that make sense? Do you guys agree that that is
1: going to be something that people will say? I don't know because Brando, his was uh, from like a Kazan and the Actors Studio, and that's something that a lot more people could grab onto. Where circus is more of a technical actor, which is still the same thing as acting, but I don't know if people will be able to follow on to that and say, well, he started this new revolution. You really don't think so? I think he'll open the door to uh, more motion-captured performances in film and some being taken more seriously, but I don't think it's going to change the game in the same way someone like Brando did. I really don't.
2: Wow. Well, I'd be very interested to hear what uh, the audience thinks about this. Uh, be sure to leave a comment on this episode, either on our um, website or on Twitter. Let us know what your thoughts are on, you know, your Andy Circus's role within the industry. Um, I'm of the belief that he has really pioneered this uh, new f- new form of acting, and that it's something that uh, he is definitely at the forefront of. You know, one of the sad things is that it's such a physical um aspect of what he does and you know his knees have to be bothering him you know as he gets older with age you know constantly uh always moving around like a monkey you know as kong or as caesar um and and it kind of it kind of sucks that as the older he gets you know i mean uh, he won't be able to necessarily do these kinds of roles but maybe in the way like you said before will like with uh like a tarkin or something like that Maybe you'll have Andy Serkis playing other actors, you know, in CGI form. I don't know. You know, but like, who knows what could happen in 20 something years from now, it could be something that we're not even our minds are not even able to uh, comprehend. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: because, uh, Mike, I think, you know, obviously, it's it's very difficult to debate what the future will be. But just, um, you know, I think you're saying it's hard for you to imagine certain things like blank ever happening. But honestly, I don't think if you had mentioned 20 years ago to people that um, films that are entirely streamed online would be winning Oscars and that like half the films released would basically come through online venues, I don't think you would have believed me then or even be able to to fathom that in the 1990s. I mean, it's already so different now. Um, or that, you know, most films wouldn't need practical sets for the most part and instead would be done 60% on green screens for big scale. I mean they didn't even go to New York for the Avengers. I mean, like it's got, I mean those changes are so big. I think the same kind of changes could occur in 20 years, maybe incrementally faster. So as to what kinds of performances people would accept in 20 years, I mean, I, I, I don't see why, essentially, cgi acting won't be a thing. We can't say what
2: people will or will not accept if it becomes widespread enough. Hey, Michael, I'm going to quote uh, Keith from La La Land to you. How are you going to be a revolutionary if
1: you're such a traditionalist? <laughs> <laughs> and look what happened there. <laughs> <laughs> you might be onto something there, Matt. <laughs> So be sure, everybody, to check out
2: our poll on Mr. Andy Serkis. Tell us what you think is his uh, best motion capture work. Uh, We really, really thank you for your votes there. Will Mavity, I toss it off to you for our final segment here. What news do you have to report on this week, sir? So, there's
0: not a tremendous amount this week. It was a bit of a slow week. Um, Ang Lee's Gemini Man, which you I mean, Looper, yeah, joke. I was gonna say, Michael described it, it is literally just Looper. It is uh, like an aging assassin who has to face off against his 25 year old younger self. Um, that is coming for a fall 2019 release. I can't say it sounds like an Ang Lee Oscar player, so. I get the feeling this will be more Hulk than it will Life of Pi. Let's say that. In many frames per second.
1: Actually, hopefully not. God, yeah.
0: Um, So, I think this is so funny. We've had so much debate over the last year or so as to who's going to be the next James Bond. And it sounds like um, the producers have decided they found the perfect person to be the next James Bond. And that person... Apparently will be Daniel Craig. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) it sounds like they just decided the best answer when you can't choose a bond is just to go back to the aging guy who said he would rather slit his wrists than do the do another film with the installment just pay him enough even though his heart's clearly not in it and make him do one more go around his bond because of course they couldn't do Idris Elba or Tom Hardy or Tom Hiddleston or anyone who people were interested in let's just keep doing more of the same so it's not 100% official
1: yet but it's looking like that's what's gonna happen i want him to do bond as his character from logan lucky
0: <laughs> i am incarcerated yeah that that would be pretty am- do you like how they have shaken not stirred oh, God. yeah yeah that bleached blonde hair kind of pudgy out of shape bond he could be like roger moore okay um do, do we like how it's introducing daniel craig and the logan
1: lucky promotional material that cracks me up every time i see it
0: so funny Um, We kind of mentioned this earlier, but uh, we have the composers for Steven Spielberg's next two films. Uh, Good for John Williams for not trying to overextend himself because both Ready Player One and The Post are going to be in post-production at the same time. We're going to have Williams only doing one of them. He'll be doing The Post. He's not going to try to simultaneously do two films. So alan silvestri is going to be doing spielberg's ready player one which is kind of fitting because silvestri was an iconic 80s figure providing the music for back to the future among others and ready player one is a love letter to all things 1980s so you know he's only been nominated for two oscars which is crazy that forrest gump and the polar express of all things
1: it'll it'll really the polar express i didn't know that yeah
0: um, so it'll be interesting to see if he can get nominated for a third because he's a great composer. Um, also, Williams could be looking at double nominations this year since you know they went for him for The Force Awakens when he didn't really do that many new tracks. Would would we agree that you know his music in uh, Force Awakens was good but not really
2: what you would call nomination worthy? That was definitely a uh, check-off nomination.
0: So Luca Gugadino just is always busy. He's got like two films coming out this year with Suspiria and Call Me By Your Name. And he's already working on a Swan Lake film with... Um... Natalie Portman. Was it Natalie Portman?
1: No, no. No, it's... uh that was a joke. That was a bad joke.
0: Oh, <laughs> ah! I get it. Yeah, that was horrendous. No, with... Um... <laughs> God, what's uh, the theory of everything, I'm forgetting Felicity Jones. Felicity Jones, yeah. so he's shopping that around and sparking a bit of a bidding war. Um, that'll be interesting. And finally, the Cohen Brothers new TV show is apparently not a TV show. You know, we talked about what is uh, going to be eligible for Oscars in the future. They claim that their new multi-part series is a omnibus film. And that it's just going to essentially be a massive film, but it's casting right now. It's got Tim Blake Nelson, James Franco, I think Tim Daly, among others, joining it. So
1: I think it's a Western. Do we know anything about that? It's something Buster Scruggs, like the legend of, or... I just know the name Buster Scruggs is in it somewhere.
0: Yeah, it's something like that. So um, that that's pretty much all the news I have for you this week. Not a traditionally busy week. We... Had some deaths. Legendary sound designer from The Thing, The Fifth Element. I think Oscar nominee, he passed away this week. But yeah,
2: that's that's about all I have for you. All right. Hey, you know what? Just as a little side note here, this is totally, totally, totally not relevant in any way, shape, or form, but I was just reading something online that said that Robert Downey Jr. has not had a single film role since 2015 that did not... Involve Tony Stark or Iron Man, and his whole slate up until 2019 is nothing but him playing Tony Stark and Iron Man. There's no like this is the only role that he ever freaking plays now. And and let and let's be clear, even before
0: 2015, he had the judge and he had a cameo in Chef. But this decade, uh, I think he's only had three films that were not either Sherlock Holmes or Iron Man. I mean, he He had due date. date, And then he had a cameo in Chef. So basically, you know, the judge was his only serious role in this decade. So it it is kind of frustrating after he had that exciting comeback that he so quickly just got saddled up with franchises. Now, he, he says he wants to stop doing... Iron Man, quote-unquote, before it gets ridiculous. Uh, I think we're past
1: that point. No, I
2: don't think so. I I, I honestly, like, I know he's 52 years old right now, but to me, he still looks the same as when he first took on the role in 2008.
1: Well, when he says gets ridiculous, I'm not talking about age. It just seems like... Well, I think that's what he means. Oh, well... I guess that's how you take it. For me, it's just like, enough is enough. Come on, we've seen what you do with his character.
0: He Right, I mean, he has essentially the same character arc. And most, Tony Stark has to learn to be not selfish and not be an asshole. But I do think it's possible... Feige has claimed they're going to kill some characters in um, Infinity War. And I think with the success of a certain recent superhero being killed off this year... Um, it is possible that he might finally hang up the cape after the second Infinity War film. Oh, you mean the suit? Yeah, he, he might, yeah. Let's put up the I think they might kill him off, particularly because I think Universal is trying to uh, to get him started doing a Dr.
2: Doolittle franchise. Oh, God. Of all things. <laughs> what is up with Universal as a company of Jesus?
0: Yeah, it's, it's huh. uni- yeah, that's right. It's, it's universal. And they have that coming in 2019. They announced that back in March. So I mean, he might be moving on. But um, th- that'll be interesting to see where that goes. I, he was such an interesting actor. I would like to see him return to that.
2: Yeah, I might I might cut this out of the show, but it was just something that like occurred to me because I had read it uh, this week in an article after the release of Homecoming. I did see that he said that. And as I was looking at his slate of projects, I'm like, yeah, this is getting a little like he's committing his entire life to playing this one role. Essentially, he's not, you know, stretching himself. So I wonder if it is like you say, Michael, maybe it's just as an actor, maybe he's feeling unfulfilled and he might see this through Infinity War and that could be it either way we'll see how that all shakes out with that said um thank you everyone for listening to episode 46 of the next best picture podcast will mavity where can we find you on the internet
0: you can find me on twitter at mavericks movies
2: and how about you michael on twitter
1: at mike movie
2: and you could find me at next best picture on the twitter Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes, people. Nothing less than five stars is acceptable, but feel free to do whatever you want in that regard. Um, We really, really appreciate your feedback. As always, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, Player FM, and now something new that I've discovered recently called CastBox. We are on there as well. Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and we will see you all next time.